Oh, g'day there, and welcome to the rewrap for Thursday. All the best bits from the Mike Hosking Breakfast on News Talk ZB in a sillier package. I am Glenn ZB, and this morning, how's that? Uh How's that post-COVID recovery going, eh? Um, we'll, we'll we'll dig into uh, the the swings and roundabouts of afterpay, uh, but before any of that, uh, the old mug, the America's Cup, neither of which accurately describe what appears to me to be a, a jug. Um, yeah, it's a jug. Pretty sure it's a jug. Uh, <laughs> anyway, nobody ever calls it the jug. Why don't they call it the jug? It's a jug. Anyway. Uh, yeah, it's still ours. There are so many facets out there, really, when you think about it, to Team New Zealand's America's Cup success. I mean, yes, it's a contest, it's a competition, someone wins, but what made the America's Cup such a gripping prospect for me all those years ago in Fremantle when I first got absorbed uh, was the big picture, basically. I don't yacht. I don't even, I'm, I'm not really even a big fan of the water. But what the America's Cup has always been about for me, especially for a country like ours, is what we can do with it. How do we leverage it? How can we make the most of it? And through all the dramas and the tantrums and the egos and stuff over the years, ultimately, it's about technology, it's about aspiration, it's about dreaming, about wanting to be bigger and better and the best. The fact it's got yachts involved is secondary to the real story. Auckland and its viaduct, packed yesterday, as you saw, uh, as it has been a number of times over the years. Think about it, though. It looks the way it does because of the America's Cup. The entire city's waterfront was transformed because of the America's Cup dream. Uh, The industry that's grown as a result of it, our heritage, our passion on the water, it's made this country billions in design and technology, the super yacht refits, all of that. Every single day, bar one, another aspect of this, bar one, the sky was blue. Pictures sent to the world were greater than any marketing campaign Tourism New Zealand ever came up with. This country, visually, is a showstopper. The little guy battling the super heavyweights. Look at Ineos. Look up Ineos, for good sake. Find out who they are. Study who they are. Look at their size. They had Mercedes on board. They had Airbus on board. And we thrashed them. Luna Rossa had Pirelli. Say whatever you like about the Italians, but the industrial capacity of the Italians, never to be underestimated. We face and beat industrial giants with pocketbooks we can only dream of. Uh, Did it this time, done it before. We've changed the face of the sport. We've made boats fly. We have made foiling the norm and the future. And every time this happens, I hope that just a few more of the doubters finally get it. How many wins and successes before the doubters, eh? Close up shop and finally go home convinced. Another great day for Team New Zealand, of course. Another great day for this country. Another reminder that in an age and time of hardship and uncertainty and some real angst, great minds, big dreams and ambition, well executed, beat everything. In fact, given that... I've just been thinking about that while that was going on. Um... Given that it's kind of got a fairly strong American connection, the America's Cup, but it's actually a jug, probably should call it a pitcher. Because I don't think they call jugs jugs, do they? I think they call them pitchers. You have a pitcher or something, not a jug or something. But then jugs are something else, aren't they? I think. Um, anyway, uh, a lot of people have been criticising the TV coverage. Uh, what did Mike make of it? Thank God for PJ, says the text. He rocks. Yes, he does, Christine. Well done. Mike, TV1's coverage of the cup was terrible. It was actually cringeworthy watching it. Uh, I disagree. I think that I was just about to say, funnily enough, no one touches PJ. Uh, it all comes close. But having said that, uh, I was thoroughly impressed. In the I watched a bit and I listened to a bit. Uh, Scotty Stevenson, who used to be on this program, of course, on a, on, on a Monday morning with the sport with Sav, 
Uh, he is clearly a high-quality broadcaster. We knew that going in. But that was a guy who, and I've watched with a great deal of fascination, uh, he started out, he's a good study, clearly. He's a guy, I don't think he comes from a yachting background. I don't think he knew a lot about yachting. I think he was a broadcaster who was tossed into a role because they didn't have anybody. And, of course, they had Peter Lester. Thank God for Peter Lester, who, who's a genius. But by the end of it, I think you would be a harsh, harsh critic to have a bad word to say about Scotty Stevenson. By, by the time that thing was over, that was a guy immersed and had studied and knew his yachting inside out, upside down and backwards. And he can be well proud of what he produced for um, for TV One. Yeah, I like the way Mike managed to focus just on the... I, I, he's really just talking about the racing commentary part of the coverage, which I think most of us agree that was fine. Um, I think that the, the person who was communicating with him there and found it cringeworthy, they weren't talking about the that part of it. They were talking about all the other parts of it and the news bulletin. Well, I call it a news bulletin. Whatever that was that followed... Yes. Oh my God. Um, see, the trouble is when you have Ron Burgundy uh, presenting, you need to have a producer in his ear who's telling him what to say and what to do. Anyway, I don't know. I'm no expert. I've never done TV. I don't know what I'm talking about. So let's move on to what I do know uh, something about, which is the gabble of indecision. I know. I heard it too. Was there a gabble of indecision? Was there a gabble? As you sit here talking to us this morning, do you have any indication that they're looking to go offshore? Uh, look, there, oh. it's been quite open. Run it. As you sit here talking to us this morning, do you have any indication that they're looking to go offshore? Uh, look, there, it's Double it's gabble been quite of open. There's no question about it. Double gabble of indecision. Yep, a gabble gabble or double gabble dabble. Devil. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> all right. St- stop, stop your silly games, um, and let's um, get on to. Do, do we want to go to the Isle of Wight for this? I'm not saying anything against the Isle of Wight, but I don't know. When you have, you've had what um, uh, Barcelona, you've had Bermuda, you've had San Francisco. I'm just wondering if it's quite as picturesque at the Isle of Wight. Maybe it is. Maybe we should go. Uh, we're going to finish up uh, with some um, afterpay talk. But before we get there, uh, paying for things right now, some companies haven't been able to and they've gone out of business because of bloody COVID. Now, Paul Conway, he is BNZ's new chief economist and he reminds me of the Australian Reserve Bank deputy governor a number of years ago who famously said upon the country entering a recession that recessions can be good because it shakes out the shonky companies that weren't up to much anyway. Conway... Uh, uses an economist's term called creative destruction. That's what we're seeing in the economy at the moment, creative destruction. Look him up. He's in the Herald. It's a good piece. And while you're there, look up the story of the brewery owner on the West Coast who's having to sell after his quote-unquote year of hell due to the closed borders. And in those two stories is the collision of theory versus reality. Conway's right on several fronts. It's always darkest before the dawn. That's what he's saying about the economy at the moment. And this country is in real trouble right now, and too many don't see it because of the Adern fawning that's gone on due to the singular trick that was pulled a year ago, locking the country up. By the time they did that, and then instilled enough fear in enough people, some tragically, genuinely believed the fact they weren't dead is all the prize they needed. The fact that tens of thousands are having their lives tipped upside down was secondary to the fear-ridden, peddling the mantra that lives were saved. The cost of the health obsession is now being played out economically, of course, and this 
crunch time that Conway talks of will be seen in today's GDP figures and the GDP figures in at least the next two quarters to come. Basically, we're stuck. We're treading water at best, slowly sinking more likely, quite possibly a recession. But, big but, the creative destruction that Conway talks of is not shabby businesses that were never really existing or should never really have existed. It's not fringe traders barely getting by. It's guys like the brewery owner that, and here's the key, through no fault of their own, got destroyed. Borders aren't their fault. Their predicament has been foisted upon them. These weren't all touch-and-go operations. These were viable, successful, growing businesses with bright futures. There is never any good reason to see good business go down. There is nothing creative about their destruction. In this case, especially as time goes on and things like bubbles don't get underway and we're still yo-yoing in and out of lockdown, having not changed our COVID procedures one jot, you could argue it's political mismanagement. It's an incompetence wrecking ball that's doing them in. The grit of structural change, as Conway puts it, is way worse because the people who made the decisions were not up for it. And as a result, some poor bloke on the coast is done for and he is part of a very long and growing line. I mean, that's nothing but a tragedy. I can't... I can't abide breweries going out of business. I mean, there's many other kinds of businesses that should be sacrificed before we have less beer, especially if it's craft beer. Uh, We're going to finish up here uh, uh, talking about Afterpay. I'm getting the impression from the way Mike discusses it, he hasn't had a lot to do with it. Are you interested in Afterpay? Not the company per se. I'm becoming increasingly fascinated by this. I didn't realise how big it was going to be. We did an interview a couple of months ago. There was a New Zealand connection to it. Afterpay is what I would call lay-by, except they've just sort of transferred the industry into something that looks a bit trendier and a bit more glitzy. But Afterpay is going gangbusters, and they argue, and I'm not sure where this is going to be a problem or not, they argue in part it replaces credit cards. So in other words, you don't use a credit card anymore, you go after pay, you, you get something and then you pay it off over a series of instalments interest free. Uh, the company clips the ticket from the seller, from the retailer, it's about 4%. What changed the market yesterday? And there's these companies all over the world, there's a big argument on regulation, whether these people need to be regulated, whether people are going to end up sunk in debt. Uh, but yesterday it changed dramatically because the CBA, uh, Commonwealth Bank of Australia, biggest bank in Australia, they entered the market. They said, we're in now. So uh, watch this space, as they say. you got to hand it to Trade Me, which they do offer Afterpay. And I was selling a shelf unit on Trade Me the other day. Um, and somebody who was interested in buying it wanted to know whether I was going to do Afterpay. And sure enough, there I, I had the option literally of just pushing a button and saying, yes, that you can pay for it in four easy-to-pay instalments paid out over time. And I get the money straight away. And yeah, I mean, yes, there's a fee, but the, see, that's, I don't know, if that, is that the brilliance of Afterpay? Is it the brilliance of Trade Me? There's a lot of clever stuff going on, and I think Mike doesn't understand any of it, and I find that entertaining. I'm Glenn ZFB, uh, that was the rewrap, and we'll be back with some more things Mike doesn't understand tomorrow. See you then.